As we prepare to hear the word of the Lord, let us seek His blessing, let us pray as we sing. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The Word of God, it is written, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And now unto him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, To Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, and glory forever and ever. Amen. The gospel according to Mark is a fast-paced and powerful presentation of Jesus Christ. And I encourage you, every one of you here, yes, I encourage you to read it in its entirety before next Sunday. You can do it in less than an hour. It's an easy read. 
Now, if the Lord wills, as most of you know from the email that went out to the congregation, starting this morning through Easter, we will be making our way through the Gospel of Mark in both the Sunday School Hour and the Sermon Series. And the Adult Sunday School, 9 o'clock, is an important complement to the Sermon Series because it will be covering passages in Mark that won't be covered in the Sermon Series And so to get the comprehensive overview of Mark, to get the most benefit, you need to be in Sunday school as well as in worship. So I want to encourage you in that, including our visitors. We'd love to have our visitors join us in Sunday school as well as worship. Now, we've just gotten started today. It's not too late. Now's the time to jump in. There are various themes that run through the gospel according to Mark, which apply to us. The main theme, the most relevant theme to us is the question, who is Jesus? The gospel according to Mark confronts us with that question over and over again, and it demands a response. It demands a decision. But the answer is not academic. It is the answer which makes all the difference in the way we live our lives. Who is Jesus? Now, the way you answer that question is the most important thing about you. Makes the most important difference about you now and forever. Other themes which flow out of this main theme and that likewise relate to our lives are Discipleship, now that is real, cross-bearing, costly discipleship, perseverance through persecution, faithfulness in fearfulness, the ongoing conflict, the spiritual warfare between the dominion of the devil and the kingdom of God. In a word, the gospel according to Mark is about following Jesus in this world which opposes Him in so many ways. Let's touch on some background information about the gospel according to Mark, which I think will help us get a better grasp of Mark's message for us today. Those who were in Sunday school got uh, the, the first round of this, now you get your second dose. But the, the scholarly consensus is that Mark is most likely the earliest of the four Gospels written in about 65 or so A.D. Okay, well, so what? There's your history lesson, so what? Well, here's the so what. Starting in 64 A.D., the emperor Nero unleashed hell on Christians. After the great fire of Rome, which Nero blamed on Christians, though he had probably said it himself. As I've already said, faithful perseverance through persecution is an important theme in Mark. Mark wants us to know from the get-go, following Jesus is not a walk in the park. So, written in 65 AD, thereabout, the gospel according to Mark confronts us today with that question, who is Jesus, and calls us to the so what 
of following him despite whatever persecution might be directed at us today. Now, you've heard me say before that the first century Roman Empire and the 21st century American culture have a lot in common. More on that in a little bit. First, some more background information. The gospel according to Mark is there's no reference to Mark as its author internally to the document. It is, in that sense, an anonymous document. However, very early in church history, it was attributed to Mark by a reliable source. You can read about that in almost any good commentary. Throughout the early centuries, a reliable historical tradition maintained that Mark, also known as John Mark throughout the New Testament, was its author. John Mark himself was not an apostle, but he was a missionary companion of Paul and Barnabas, and later the companion, indeed the the disciple, if you will, of the apostle Peter. An early church historian identified John Mark as, quote, the interpreter of Peter, indicating that the gospel according to Mark reflects the teaching and preaching of the apostle Peter. Now, the point is that there is a very real and legitimate sense in which the gospel according to Mark presents the life and ministry of Jesus, the gospel, from the specific perspective of the apostle Peter. And therefore, it has apostolic authority. Okay, so what? Well, here's the so what. John Mark was in Rome when the apostles Peter and Paul were there at the end of their lives, in between 64 and 68 AD, in the midst of Nero's persecution of Christians. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13, Peter refers to Mark as, quote, my son Mark referring to Mark as his spiritual son, saying that they, Peter and Mark, were together in Babylon, which was code language for Rome. You remember Babylon was the ancient Middle Eastern Mesopotamian city which epitomized man's opposition to and rebellion against the true God. You remember that the Jews of the 6th century B.C. were taken into exile in Babylon. Well, in the 1st century, Rome was the power center of fallen humanity. And it epitomized man's opposition to and rebellion against the true and living God and thus was referred to by Peter as Babylon. So John Mark was in Rome when both Peter and Paul were there, during the time when Paul was under house arrest, he was most likely there when Paul was beheaded. And then when Peter was crucified upside down. And it may have been Peter's martyrdom and Paul's, which providentially, but especially Peter's martyrdom, 
which providentially by the Holy Spirit moved John Mark to write this gospel to preserve the essence of Peter's preaching and teaching about Jesus for his own suffering community of Christians in order to encourage them to persevere through persecution and to remain faithful in the midst of a fearful situation. So before we go any further, I want you to remember from here on out, the gospel according to Mark was written to a community of Christians, a church, who were suffering the fire, figuratively and literally, of persecution. Here we sit, thanks be to God, in this beautiful sanctuary, all praise be to God, in a peaceful environment, (laughs) thanks be to God, with the security of religious liberty at least for the time being, all glory to God. And far more than enough material prosperity. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty. It's easy for us to be here today. It's easy for you to listen to these sermons. So don't ever forget that the first Christians who ever heard or read this gospel were being impaled on poles and set on fire as torches to illuminate Nero's garden party orgies. Why don't we just let that rest upon us for a little while? This has got blood all over it. The blood of Jesus. And the blood of those who followed him. So, you want to follow him too? You see, your answer to that question depends upon your answer to this question. Who is Jesus? That gets us to verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, literally beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, we're going to break that down. We're going to take nothing for granted. The very first word in the Greek is arche, beginning. 
We might casually pass over this first word, this entire verse verse, as though it were nothing more than an introduction, but not so fast. By beginning with this word beginning, Mark is deliberately connecting his document, this gospel, to the sacred scriptures of the Old Testament. He is alluding to Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So Mark is not simply using the word beginning to indicate the starting point of this document, but rather he is announcing a new beginning, a new beginning which comes with and through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a new beginning in history. It is a new beginning of a new day, a new era, the kingdom of God breaking into this old and fallen world. For, for Mark, the introduction of Jesus here in chapter 1 was as momentous as the announcement of the creation of the world because with Jesus, in Jesus, through Jesus, a new creation was being brought into existence. And we are called to enter in through repentance and faith in Him. Now that word gospel, as in the gospel according to Mark, capital G, it's it's used to refer to the documents which present the life and ministry of Jesus. So we refer to the four gospels, capital G, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But before the word gospel, capital G, became a capital G word, it was just an ordinary word in the ancient world, ordinary to both Jews and Greeks. And I bet you know what it means, literally, good news. In English, the closest word we have is the word evangel. That's just taking the the Greek and turning the Greek letters into English letters, and it comes out as evangel. So an evangelist is one who proclaims the evangel, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Evangelism is the work of spreading the evangel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing, you see, it's not just any old good news. The word gospel in Greek literature was used to announce the big, big good news. For example, the news of victory on the battlefield. This was gospel. This was big good news. Victory. In that case, the messenger from the battlefield was literally called an evangelist, the bearer of the good news of victory, and the birthday celebration of the emperor. Now, that was gospel. That was big good news. Yes, we're celebrating the birthday of our emperor, our Savior. Yeah, that's right. Since Augustus Caesar was a self-proclaimed deity, a son of God, His birthday was celebrated as good news, gospel for the world. How about that? But that's not all about the word gospel, good news. It's also found in the Old Testament. It referred to the gospel, the big good news of salvation through the presence of the Lord, the coming 
of the Messiah, the inbreaking of God's kingdom into this world, the mighty acts of God for the salvation of his people. In the Old Testament, there are various promises and prophecies of gospel, good news to God's people about how God would forgive their sins, deliver his people from their enemies, bring them home from exile and bring his kingdom in all its fullness. Gospel. You put all that background together into this word as it's used in the New Testament, and think about it. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news, gospel of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, the birth of a king, a Savior. Gospel, big, good news. Of course, there are many references to the good news of Jesus Christ throughout the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 and following, which you heard already this morning. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Now, that's the summary definition of the gospel. Jesus Christ, in His death for sins, His resurrection from the dead as the victorious Savior. This is gospel victory over sin and death. This is the ultimate defeat of the ultimate enemy. That is the reason that the Apostle Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the reason that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome, you remember, saying in that great eighth chapter, even in the midst of persecution unto death, we are more than conquerors. We are more than victors through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm belaboring the point because I don't want us to pass over this common and familiar word gospel too quickly and too easily. Mark's announcement is that with the coming of Jesus, the biggest thing of all was happening. This was the biggest of big good news because with the coming of Jesus, God was coming into the world bringing His kingdom and the time was now to enter in just as today is the day of salvation through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. This was the message of John the Baptist. We don't have time now to go into the other verses about John's ministry, but John came as the last, the final Old Testament prophet to Old Testament Israel. He came in the mold of Elijah In the wilderness, he came announcing the coming of the Lord. He called the people to prepare by the repenting of their sins and to express that by being baptized, which was not a Christian baptism, but a Jewish rite of purification. It was a call to radical repentance and radical submission to God to receive his kingdom by receiving Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And there is that supreme title of Jesus the Son of God. That, that title speaks of Jesus' 
divine origin. It speaks of Jesus' divine nature. It speaks of Jesus' divine equality with God the Father. It speaks of Jesus' divine authority. It speaks of Jesus' divine right and power over all the powers of heaven and earth. And therefore, it speaks of Jesus' divine right to rule over all, including my life and yours, the Son of God. Now, you put that in Rome in the mid-60s, and what have you got. Take that, Nero. Put it in your pipe and smoke it. It's a politically incorrect document. The same is true today. Right away, we're confronted with the question, who is Jesus? Who are you in relationship to him? Have you welcomed him into your life as your king? Have you fled from this perishing world into his everlasting kingdom? Have you bowed your knee before him in humble and grateful submission to live in happy obedience to him? Is your religion a matter of the outward washing, cleaning up in the sight of others? We do it very well. Or is it a matter of the inward washing, the baptism of the Holy Spirit by Jesus Christ himself, who alone can give you a new heart, a new mind, a new will, a new life set free so that you are willing to follow him in newness of life, even in the face of persecution. We may not now, not right now, face the kind of violent persecution that Mark's first century readers and hearers did, nor do we face the kind of violent persecution that our brothers and sisters around the world suffer today. Let's not forget them. It's real. But let's not be naive naive, and let's not be deceived about the world in which we live. You probably know this, but let, let's just, you know, make sure and say it out loud. There are forces, there are powerful forces aligned today in American culture which hate God's Word hate God's authority, hate God's kingdom. Live in a new day. These forces have no intention whatsoever of tolerating the Christian worldview, especially in the public realm. No intention of tolerating the Christian worldview. They care not one whit about your religious liberty. They are aligned in the political establishment, the major media, entertainment industry, corporate America, and the government educational system. Now today in our culture, these forces are largely united around the sexual immorality 
revolution. Do you understand the revolution? The complete, the complete turnaround revolution, which has come full circle, which, which not only celebrates what was once condemned, but condemns what was once celebrated. And one step further, condemns those who do not condemn, condemns those who do not celebrate what was once condemned. So it's a complete upside-down world in which we live. It is, it is the ideological agenda of our day. But it's nothing new. It's not anything new. It was all right there in first century Rome. And in our day, it is empowered by the spirit of the beast. The same malignant spirit embodied in Nero. It's no accident that the major media didn't cover the March for Life on Friday in Washington, D.C. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people gathered in Washington, D.C., Major media it ignored it as though it never even happened. You think that's an oversight? They don't want you to know. They don't know. They don't want you to know that the pro-life movement is growing among women and young people, growing and growing and gaining momentum, and they don't want that news to get out. A copy of our denomination's position paper on abortion is included in today's bulletin. I hope that you will read it. I hope that you would be willing to share it with someone who asks you what you believe about abortion and why. I hope that we'd all be willing to lose a little bit, now let's say to lose a good bit, to lose a lot of social acceptability (coughs) and personal popularity for the sake of following Jesus on the issue of the sanctity of human life created in the image of God. And and the issue of abortion, though it's been with us since 1973 in our culture legally, it's it's not a passe issue, as you know, I hope you know, it, it is sort of the cornerstone of the whole sexual immorality revolution. This is the, where, the, where the sacrifices to the beast are offered on the altar of abortion. And then from there it flows out. The wife of Vice President Pence was recently maligned by LGBTQ activists and some in the media for, of all things, teaching art in a Christian school which does not approve of homosexual behavior. It was suggested by one in the media that perhaps she should be ineligible for secret service protection for aligning herself in such a way. Of course she's a political target, but here's the thing, we all are. We all are. And we'd better all be aware of that because we and our children and our grandchildren, 
will feel more and more and more pressure to conform to the new normal. <laughs> you want your children to grow up normal the way, the way we grew up in Monroe? You want to kind of grow up and be normal. Remember that? Well-rounded, right? In the mainstream, popular. You get all that, right? Forget it. Forget it. Forget it. Because the new normal is the new normal of no difference whatsoever between male and female. (laughs) Or really, now it's gone up another notch. The new normal is that femininity is actually far better than masculinity because masculinity has all kinds of negative things inherent in it. It's the new normal of no gender identification on birth certificates. You know, we just can't quite figure it out anymore. The new normal of a multitude of different genders which can flow as fluidly as water down the stream. Yes, there will be more and more and more pressure for us to conform to the new normal or else, or else. So we've got to answer the question. In 21st century America, the way in which our brothers and sisters in first century Rome had to answer, who is Jesus? And are we going to follow him? And are we going to continue to spread the good news of victory, his victory over sin and death, and proclaim that good news of life everlasting in him alone, even in the face of persecution? Brothers and sisters, the gospel according to Mark will teach us how to follow Jesus in a world violently opposed to him. But it is Jesus himself and Jesus alone himself who will give us the power and the faith to follow him where he leads. Let us take up our cross and follow him. To God be the glory. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God of truth, the God of life, the God of righteousness, the God of justice, the God of love and mercy and compassion who has poured out grace upon grace upon us in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we pray in his name that by the power of your Spirit, your word would be more deeply planted into our hearts to renew our minds and to transform our lives. Set our hearts on the hope of glory and give us grace to live as your people, the citizens of your kingdom, even now on earth. To the glory of your name, amen. In response to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith as we respond to the first question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism, one of our historic theological documents in our Reformation history. Christian, what is your only comfort in life and in death? My only comfort is that I belong body and soul in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. At the cost of His own precious blood, He has fully paid for all my sins and has set me free from the dominion of the devil. He also watches over me so well that not a hair can fall from my head 
without the will of my Father in heaven. Indeed, all things must work together to fit his purpose for my salvation. Therefore, because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly ready and willing from now on to live for him. Amen.